Sure, thanks so much, uh, Sheree. Can you guys see my screen all right? Yes. All right. So we'll introduce ourselves in just a minute, but you're here for content. So we love to like jump right in and just kind of go for it. And then we'll introduce ourselves in just a few minutes if that's, if that's okay. All right, so we're here to talk about uh, adaptive leadership. Um, and I think, you know, as I was reflecting on this and can you, you know, part of the great things about doing presentations is you get to really dive deep, and think about them a lot and continue to think about them. And as you present stuff, revise it and think about it some more. And, and so as I was just thinking about this before jumping on the call, I was like, you know, why are we really talking about this and why is it important? And, and so I just wanted to start off by just you know, covering that just a little bit and, and talk through that and then we'll sort of jump in. Um, I think for us as we're, as we, Darren and I, and, you know, doing our work with client solutions, as we start to look at um, what's going on in the world and looking at the companies that we're working with, you know, what we're finding is that, you know, leadership is, is absent in a lot of places or the leaders are addressing the wrong things. They're addressing what they think they should be addressing um, and if we take a, a step back using this stuff that we're going to talk about today, what we're actually finding is that they're addressing the wrong things for lots of different reasons. And so we wanted to present this and throw it out there to the world and, and start talking about it because uh, it's really impactful work. And I think it starts to shift a perspective a little bit. And that's the goal today is shift your perspective a little bit on what leadership is and what the role of leadership is and what we should be looking at as leaders, because we're all leaders, no matter what our role is, right? Um, and so that's why we wanted to, we find this work super interesting and this content uh, valuable for us. So we hope you feel the same. Darren, do you have anything you want to add in there? Yeah, and I think um, my only piece here is everything what Brian said, but also is we're pulling from a lot of different sources. Um, and, you know, between uh, Brian ICF certified, Agile coaching certifications, uh, scaled Agile frameworks, not just SAFE, but others, um, as well as some of the Dare to Lead work, uh, Brene Brown, um, and then just other things we've picked up along the way. So uh, it's, it's sort of a, a culmination, for lack of a better term of a lot of different things coming together. Um, so the language may be a little different in different areas, but you're, you, the, the, the intent is the same. So I think uh, we're happy to share it with you. Okay, as soon as I can figure out how to change slides, there we go. All right, so the first thing we wanna start off with is just in the chat, um, just type what kind of leader do you wanna be? Just put it in the chat and I'll see if I can open. I got the chat, Brian. Okay. What kind of leader do you want to be? All right. So I'm seeing transform, transformational, impactful, uh, empowering. On a couple of ones, uh, servant leader to others, inspiring, influential. Courageous. Motivator. Awesome. Sound like good things. 
Intent-based leadership. Very cool. Okay. They sound like all great things and good words. And, you know, the question that, you know, a good coaching question after that is, so what does that look like in practice? <laughs> right? And that's the hard thing to define is all these things sound amazing, but how do we actually put them into practice? And that's what we want to talk about a little bit by introducing this concept of adaptive leadership today. We want to talk to you about a way that you can start to think about it differently and sort of put all that stuff into practice in just a little bit of a different way than you might be used to. So this is a quote from Brene Brown. As Darren said, we pull from a bunch of different sources, sort of who our influences are and, and who we love to learn from and, and what we find interesting. Um, and this is her uh, definition of leadership. A leader is anyone who takes responsible responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and who has the courage to develop that potential. So we'd love to hear from some people, just jump on and, you know, what does that mean to you? And, you know, I think this is a little bit different for most people. Um, and so maybe just talk about how that lands for you or how it's different from a traditional notion of leadership that you might've heard from, heard about. Anyone? Yeah, I'd say that Traditionally, I think people may hear leader and think it's the boss, the one in control, the one telling everyone else what to do, where this definition is more of helping others to be up front rather than you being up front. Yeah, sure. The traditional notion of I'm the I'm carrying the bay the 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 battle flag right in front of the troops behind me is sort of different here. Great, thanks. What else? Um, this is this is Gita. Um, from my personal experience, traditional leadership is tends to be on finding fault versus the new way of leadership is more of um, early failure is a good thing. And basically looking for the potential and trusting that human beings learn. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. Hey, this is Sri. So what I would like to say is, um, yeah, traditionally it's more like a boss role, but I would like to think a little beyond and say leader is kind of, leader is leading and I'm blindly following. But from this definition, I would like to really say that a leader is not just who is always in the front and leading the people, but always encouraging and motivating people and letting the potential come out and let them be a leader as well. Bring the potential out. Yeah, thanks, Sri. Yeah, and I think, uh, this is Darren, I think one of the things that has sort of resonated me with the Brene Brown work is it, it's it's been a lot less as a business owner, as a coach, and even uh, and a, and a leadership coach is it really takes the, you don't have to worry about trying to fit yourself into a mold. This, this superhero, superwoman, superman approach to leadership that you, you got to fit into the tights and wear the cape and have a mask 
um, is what you know, at least you know as, as I grew up in my career, thought leadership had to be. You had to be this very, really wicked smart person, or uh, very inspiring person. And that's that's hard to do if you're not born with those traits or if you're in an area in which you're not the subject matter expert. Um, what this quote is really saying is you just got to show up and you got to be willing to attack a situation when the outcome is uncertain. And so for me personally, it is a skill in which I can teach others to show up. I can't teach you to be inspirational. I can maybe show you the way or, 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 you know, hone your PowerPoint skills or your speaking skills, or maybe even your facilitation skills. But, you know, it's, it's definitely, those are things you can get better at, but to walk in a room like some people can and just inspire hundreds of people, like, you know, there's very few people that can do that. Um, so if you're putting yourself on that pedestal, it's, it's, it, it's a hard thing to sort of, be willing to take uh, to take on. However, saying I'm willing to see the best of others, I'm willing to walk into a situation and try to figure it out, not because I know the answer, but because I believe we all can build a solution to this problem or for this need. And so for me, that was a huge breath of fresh air. It was a great way to articulate what I had sort of been feeling and thinking. Um, and, you know, you it's also what doesn't say here is uh, what it doesn't say here is you know you're, you believe in humanity <laughs> uh, and those around you that w we can figure this out so we want to introduce a concept um it's from a book good to great and it's a concept of windows and mirrors right and I think a lot of times what we see leaders doing, and, and this is the hard work, right? We see leaders looking out the window and saying, oh, well, they're doing everything wrong and it's my job to fix everything and to solve all the problems um, for them. And, you know, the new notion of leadership is sort of rather than looking out the window, it's really looking in the mirror and saying, you know, what am I doing that's impacting the people out, out there? Right. How do I need to show up differently in order to impact my company? You know, how do I need to do my work so that they can do their work? Um, and it kind of sucks. Like it's really it's hard. You know, it's hard to look in the mirror and realize that, man, I got some work to do. <laughs> like, you know, and it, it's tough as, as leaders. It's easy to look out the window and put the blame out there. And it's it's hard to look in the mirror and see that reflection back and, and know that you have to do something differently in order to show up. Yeah, I think the thing that, um, you know, if you get hired into a company to be a leader of whatever that is, an agile transformation, a personal development, some sort of, you know, executive coaching, um, a lot of times those folks are hiring you to sit there to, in, using this window concept and make observations and provide guidance based on those observations. Um, if you are internal to that company, a lot of times it means you show up every day, you know, sort of with, with what you want, the leader that you want to see within that organization. And you don't lead that way because you want others to follow. You lead that way because you want those behaviors to be contagious. And so one of the other Brene Brown quotes is courage is contagious. So if you choose uh, that is what you want this organization to represent, then you have to make the effort or intent 
to be that way on a very consistent and regular basis, or at least try your, your darndest to do so. Um, and so that's where we have this contrasting of, uh, it's also a good reflection tool as you walk into a situation or after a situation to say, was I that person saying you coulda, you shoulda, you woulda, um, which aren't bad reflection tools. Uh, or is this a situation in which my intent did not match our impact and I need to sort of reflect on how did I show up in this particular situation, which bleeds right into our next our next slide of uh, one of the key concepts that Brian and I have really, I think, globbed onto um, is what is your intent? And, and then what is the impact of your intent on others? And what I like to talk to people about is what, how big is the gap between the two? Because very rarely do we get the chance to have an intent, something we really want to do you know, uh, servant leadership, a great one, right? Our intent in a scrum team, for those that I think most of us are in the Agile community, uh, is to have, a, you know, servant leadership rather at the Agile coaching level or the scrum master level. Okay, that's our intent. But how is that showing up in the organization? How are we rather modeling that behavior, preaching that behavior, teaching that behavior? And so between what we want to happen and how we're landing with our audience, uh, you need self-awareness, you need feedback, you need constant communication with the groups to truly understand how close or how wide that gap is. And, and, and it's not to shame you or to feel bad about it. It's just to show you how much work needs to be done in that area. And, and leadership's a great one, right? We need a good leader. All right, so our intent is, is to be a good leader for this organization. However, when we get into situations and production is down and we need to get the systems back up and running, do we start shouting, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that, and do, we need to do that? Or are we inviting the team to find a solution rather on their own or as a group? And uh, the goal from a self-reflection tool going back to that mirror is to be able to see it in the moment. The better we get at understanding our abilities and our impact, the more we can adjust in the middle of a situation, even a tense situation. The less mature or uh, capable we are in that area, the more we're gonna be using reflective tools after the fact, which is still good, but it doesn't change what just happened. And that's where uh, you evolve, how you evolve and you're, you know, say, I hate the word maturity, but just how you evolve as a leader and who you are how strong is your leadership foundation and your self-awareness is a part of that uh, will be a key factor in making those adjustments. And the more trust you have within your team that you're working with, the more forgiveness or slack you get when, when maybe you miss that mark. And the, the, the opposite is true. The less trust you have, the less forgiveness and the more it takes to recover from those chasms between intent and impact. So for us at Plant Solutions, you know, as we built out and grew, have grown the company, um, you know, one of the things that really has stood out to us is what is our intent? You know, what is our intent as a company? What is our intent as, 
you know, people who work for an organization who form an organization and, and you know, how do we want to show up? And so, you know, we kind of came up with our core values about, you know, what was important to us. And I think our values helped define our intent. And, you know, in some ways, values are very overused. Um, we hear everyone and every, you know, every company talk about values and what their values are. And, um, you know, and, but if we look at the larger purpose of that, right, the purpose of that is trying to set their intent. And, you know, sometimes we, speaking from personal perspective, sometimes I do, you know, really well at this stuff. And then sometimes I just go completely off the rails and <laughs> I'm really bad at this stuff too. And so, um, but knowing that it's there to serve as a guidepost is really, is really helpful because it helps me realize when I go off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it, the interesting part about this is, you know, as the president of Plant Solutions and co-founder uh, with, with my wife, uh, who's the managing member, like we had to figure it out between as a relationship and spouses, uh, what this looked like. And then Brian's been one of our, our longest tenured and, uh, and, and uh, employees, but also as part of the leadership team is, you know, you had a married couple and then, you know, and then Brian. Uh, leading this organization and we realized like we had to come up with what are those guideposts that lead lead us as, a, as an organization and the bigger you get the the more complicated it gets because um, you have differing opinions styles educational histories approaches etc um, and I think it was great because it forced us to come together talk about our intent how did we want to show up um, and, and we, you know, as a leadership team, we worked together and said, you know, uh, going back to Dan Siegel's work, you know, if you can, if you can name it, you can tame it. Or in this in instance, like, how do you visualize what our values are? So we sat down and created, I know this is just a PowerPoint slide, but uh, for us, it is a, I say a North Star on how we want to drive this organization and, and lead um, within it. So we haven't really introduced ourselves yet, so we'll do that now. Uh, we call us the goofballs who make all of this happen, and it's really who make all this happen sometimes when we're at the <laughs> best, <laughs> but not all the time, but at least we try. Uh, so this is just a little bit about us and, and you know, our values. Um, you know, we try to bring our whole selves to work, and that phrase is also overused all the time, but... Um, you know, if you take the that stuff out of it and just, you know, show up, and that's what we talked about. Um, I think we've tried to create an organization with really diverse backgrounds and, you know, people who have different skill sets because we've realized that the, the broader we are, um, you know, the better we are. And, and so it's been really fun to um, jump into that and, you know, as we're hiring, you know, learning about people's backgrounds and learning about what makes them tick. And we're saying, oh, you know, we don't have someone who has this background. Like, it's really cool to bring them in and hear what they have to say. And, you know, they're coming from a completely different spot. I mean, my background has nothing to do with IT or Agile. It's actually in music, you know. And so I love people who can, you know, bring themselves into the organization and, and really, uh, create that that difference in that that discussion yeah i'll just add one little comment to that is the more capabilities or um the more diverse the folks that you bring in and 
Um, as a leader, I realize that someone who is an expert in social media marketing, social media and marketing, I, I cannot get in the way of that because they will probably have more knowledge than I. Um, so it, it definitely sends you, puts you in a, uh, in a position where you have to lead. You can't manage because they know more than you. And for me, that's been a great situation. Um, you know, Brian leads one of our federal programs. He knows more about it than I do. So even if I wanted to be an overpowering, micromanaging, uh, you know, person, like I can't because I've given them so much ownership and respect for that particular program. At least I hope Brian feels this way um, that I, I don't get in the way. Um, so the empowerment and trust then enables me to be a better leader because I don't really have any other choices. I can't control something I don't know about. Right. Or at least <laughs> not for a very long time, not for Brian to stick around very long. Um, but creating that environment, uh, has really helped. And I think we've tried to do that with each one of our employees, uh, to the best of our ability. So all of that was a big setup basically <laughs> for talking about, uh, this concept of adaptive leadership. I think, you know, what's important to us is just sort of set a little bit of a basis there and set sort of the groundwork. And now that you know a little bit about where we're coming from and sort of the, the baseline that we're working with, um, we can sort of jump into the weeds a little bit deeper. So this is a quote uh, from Ron Heifetz. Ron Heifetz teaches a famous leadership class at Harvard. And he says this, the single biggest failure of leadership is to treat adaptive challenges like technical problems. So, of course, you're like, well, that sounds awesome, but what the heck are adaptive challenges? All right. So, technical, technical challenges, right? These are things where the solution is already known, right? It can be solved by an expert or authority or some tested procedures or norms or systems, right? We have something that's already known. We know how to solve this problem. It's not too difficult. Right, you have high blood pressure, you take a medication to lower your high blood pressure, done, no problem. Adaptive uh, challenges are challenges where there's no known solution um, outside the current knowledge. And typically these things can only be addressed through changes in people's priorities, their beliefs, their habits, and their loyalties. This is the hard stuff. Right. So I talked about high blood pressure. It's easy to give someone with high blood pressure uh, medication to lower their blood pressure. Right. Not difficult. It's harder to get them to change their lifestyle to, uh, you know, not need blood pressure medication to, you know, lose weight and cut down and change their diet and exercise. Right. Um, and so the technical solution is giving medication. The adaptive or the technical challenge is, is solved by giving medication. The adaptive challenge is how do we motivate this, uh, someone to change their lifestyle, their habits, their beliefs, right? That's much more challenging. Yeah, and I just, I, I, without getting political, uh... COVID is a key example of this. Um, you know, I have a 10-year-old daughter who wants to go rock climbing uh, in an indoor rock climbing place. Uh, it is both a technical, the technical solution is to hand sanitizer, mask up, 
and uh, you know, change your clothes before you you leave the rock gym. Um, however, I don't feel comfortable with that that simple solution because it really is the behaviors and habits of others that have to change um, in order for it to be a safe environment, not just how do you prevent it on yourself. Um, and I said it's a, a fairly simple but sometimes sensitive um, area that has has you know it produces definitely some challenges. Um, but knowing that most 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 problems or challenges are not simply solved by a technical solution. Right. So we need both, and most most challenges are both technical and adaptive. So. We're gonna pause here for a second and we'd like to hear from some of you, maybe think about a challenge that you've had at work. Um, what was the technical part of it? And then what is the more adaptive part of it? Because being able to identify this, like this, we call this like the diagnosis step. Like this is the hardest part and this is the key to this work. Um, the diagnosis is the most important part. Because if you diagnose wrong, right, we're not going to be able to move the needle and make the organization better. So uh, just throw it out there. What are some uh, technical and adaptive challenges you've seen in your work or at home or in society? You either speak up or type it into the chat. We'll, we'll, we'll take either one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll get us started. Um, I think technical perspective, it's a lot of the like the process work in um, helping organizations adapt to Agile or adopt Agile. And then the adaptive challenge is really that cultural aspect, the way we think about the way we do work, the way we think about um, how we treat people in the organization, you know, the, the actual implementation of the principles on a practical level. Yeah, thanks, Shri. It's, it's pretty easy to come in there and say, I'm going to teach you Scrum, and I can teach you Scrum in an hour, and then you can go do it, right? And most of us know that that is not quite how it works. <laughs> Great. What else? Oh, sorry, I wanted to, I was going to share, but for that. No, go ahead, go, go, please. Oh, thanks. So something I wanted um, to share was um, actually with my teams adopting, you know, Paramod programming, which is a recent thing. And, you know, technically it's easy to explain um, and I can show them the ropes on how the activities are done. But then it's very difficult for it to become an instilled habit for the team to really lean in and find value in terms in being, you know, developing that self initiative to form pairs and form mobs to attack problems. So that's that's the uphill battle I'm facing. <laughs> yeah, right. Teaching them to do mob programming is the easy part, right? That's mm -hmm. the technical part. And then changing their attitudes about, you know, maybe working together or I'm not an individual anymore. I'm part of a team. Um, you know, that's the that's the harder piece, sure. Great, thanks. Yeah, yeah, and if you think, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, it's, and some of them are enthusiastic to be pairing, but they have a hard time starting. 
they don't sometimes they feel like they don't know how to and I'm like just dive right in you guys just take the leap take the jump <laughs> and sometimes I have to hold their hands but it's just teaching them how to do it without me holding their hands Yeah, I, I equate it to if anybody has ever, you know, just think of a two by four or a piece of lumber that you're walking across while it's on the ground. You don't think anything above it, uh, excuse me, about it, but then just elevate it six inches off the ground and do the same walk across that piece of wood, which is four inches wide. But the fact that you have now a fall associated with walking across this piece of wood, then your brain sort of wraps around the axle and prevents you from wanting to try it um it's it's that that fall that uh, people fear the, the the failure or as we've talked about um i don't think we've talked about yet but a lot of times they don't resist the change they resist the loss of knowing what to do when things go sideways um uh, because in, when you're trying a new process or uh, implementing a new process they won't have the same skill sets or experience to adjust in the middle of the moment because they haven't done it before. So another uh, example that just came up for me as uh, my my partner's grandfather, who's 93 and, you know, is really just not in great health, but he was there a few weeks ago and he told him that he was uh, going to take him and drive him to Florida. My, his grandfather told him this, right? And so, and then he was going to drive to CVS to pick up his prescriptions. Um, he can't get out of bed, so he can't drive, right? So the technical solution is take away his key, his car keys, but the adaptive solution is, you know, it's hard for um, him as getting older and realizing that his, you know, he's now has restrictions that he didn't have before, right? That's a, that's more of the adaptive solution and, and working through that with him is, is the, is the harder part, right? Taking the car keys away is, is the easy technical. Is this making sense? Is this landing? May I jump in? Please. I found that the most difficult thing, uh, especially in the technology area, is when you actually found that you need to change the technology that you're using for a specific product because uh, all you see was issues and uh, you have understood that with a different technology, things uh, would get better. But uh, in that case, the adaptive... Uh, methodologies, uh, it's not apparent because uh, you are in the process of actually delivering a product and you don't have time to change the technology. So I haven't found actually a solution on that part, uh, apart from uh, maybe working overtime to actually see what, how the new technology can offer, you know? Sure. Hey. Yeah. I was gonna say, hang on to that for a little bit. I think that's a really great inquiry and a great example. Um, we're gonna talk about some more stuff in a little bit that I think might land uh, in that example. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great, um, thanks for bringing that up. I think that's that's really valuable. Go ahead, Darren, sorry. No, I was gonna hit on that, but I'm gonna hold my tongue and uh, we'll get through a couple more of the slides to add to it. So the next concept we want to present is about this, is that shifting notion of leadership, right? 
Um, again, we talked about the leader is no longer carrying the flag in front of the troops, you know, to use that analogy. Um, it's different now, right? So what we say is the problems lie within people and the solutions lie within people too. And it's the job of leadership to pull those solutions out and help people understand uh, that they have the solution and really truly use a coaching perspective to, um, to lead them, right? To help them understand that they have the solution within them. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say a piece of this is one of the hardest things of leadership is letting your teams make the decision, knowing that you are no longer controlling what the outcome looks like. You know what the goal is, you're expressing that goal to your team, but then you're re relinquishing how you get to that goal uh, by leveraging the brain power, the capabilities of the members around you. Uh, it's no longer your job. Uh, can you contribute? Yes, absolutely. Uh, are you there to educate them on the solution? Well, then that's not leadership. Are you there to lead them towards a solution or lead with them towards a solution? Absolutely. Um, it's just being aware of what you're doing. Uh, once again, what is your intent? Is your intent to lead or manage? Um, if your intent is to lead, then trust that the, the solutions lie within the people too. It's, it's hard. It's even hard to say. So we want to offer this concept of an intervention map, right? And this is just a way of thinking about different invent, uh, interventions we can take as leaders. And, you know, the understanding here, remember, is that all problems are a mix of technical and adaptive. But traditionally, we tend to lean towards the technical. So even if you look at the stuff on the technical, I would think most people are more comfortable, most leaders are more comfortable in the bluish area rather than the greenish area. And again, it's not as cut and dry as it appears on this. And there are times where sure, as a leader, you have to manage, you have to be completely in the blue. You can't take everything from a green perspective, right? You have to be in the blue, um, of course. Um, but as much as possible, and this is sort of our challenge to you, is how can we start moving more towards the green, right? It's not a do everything in the green, that's not the answer, right? But when faced with a problem, how can we start to diagnose the technical and diagnose the adaptive and then start to move and offer interventions that are more in the realm of the green area? And another way to think about this, just real quick, Brian, on that slide is, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in Maine doing the whole, uh, fall leaf peeping uh, exercise with my family and Google Maps will get me to any destination. So if I plug in an address, it'll give me exactly where I need to go and tell me exactly how to get there with the possibility of a couple options. However, if I want to go where the best leaves are changing, I have to, I don't know what that destination looks like. I can make a best guess, but once I get there, I need to observe, look around, understand the environment, look at the winds, uh, temperatures, and then and mostly just look around at the area and make adjustments to my to my journey, uh, if that is what my goal is. Um, so Google Maps, easy, very succinct technical solution. 
However, when you're, you're going into something with a little more ambiguity or the outcome is uncertain, that's where you're going to leveraging the adaptive uh, challenges and especially dealing with humans or working with humans, uh, emotions, perspectives, habits, and behaviors is much more on, uh, is all adaptive because um, that is never hardwired, even on those folks that you think you have figured out. Hey, I have a question. Yep, please. Um, this may not mean a whole lot, but I'm interested in understanding um, with why the difference between why you have coaching only as perspectives and actions and addressing emotions, I guess, is my big question in therapy. Is it yes. just a technicality you needed a word to put there? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we think more of the notion of really like pure traditional therapy, right? It's I guess it's more addressing emotions and past in some ways, and coaching is more like perspectives and and you know, I mean, we can talk about the difference of coaching and therapy all day, right? But uh, yeah, it was it was uh, in an effort to be a little bit more succinct. But I'd love to hear your thoughts, you know, uh, and how, what would you put differently there? I think I would put healing emotions because mm -hmm. addressing emotions mm -hmm. is very much coaching, but healing emotions is absolutely um, therapy. Cool. Thanks, Shree. Yeah. 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 And maybe, Shree, it's maybe addressing your story and healing emotions <laughs> in therapy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we tried to do a gradation between, uh, you know, adaptive going in traditional therapy into coaching, into facilitation um, to show they, they bleed a little bit. Um, but also just from a professional awareness, like uh, obviously knowing when you're going from coaching into therapy, like we're not licensed therapists, at least I would say 98% of us. Um, so knowing when to, uh, know you're out of your, uh, out of your lane or a realm that you probably should be seeking other, uh, help from. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Great input. So this work is tough, right? This work is is a huge challenge um, because it's it's a different sort of level. It's looking at things right from a new perspective. It's trying to change people's perspectives and their beliefs that they don't necessarily want to let go of. Right? It's really easy to be a leader who wants to stand in the front of the room and pull everyone with them and have all the right answers, you know, and the really kind of crappy part is that companies promote people who have all the right answers, right? If, if we look at most of corporate America and, and corporations around the world, when you have all the right answers and you're just kicking butt um, and you're solving problems, right? You get promoted and the issue is that that's, as we've already have seen, that's not what the world really needs right now from leaders. We need to move towards that more adaptive realm because we need to upgrade our leadership operating system. And, and so, you know, companies don't promote leaders who are asking questions and who are trying to address, you know, the really hard stuff. Um, and so it's a challenge and it requires a lot of courage to go in there and say, hey, I, I, see, I see us, uh, you know, fixing this technical part by implementing a new software solution. But here's all the stuff that we need to do to change people's behaviors and work with people on changing their behaviors and their attitudes and their beliefs.
it's much harder work. Go ahead, Darren, you want to take this one? Yeah, no, uh, thank you, Brian. Um, so I think the, the key to all of this work is, is showing up. So, um, you know, choosing courage over comfort, because sometimes you're going to walk into a situation or a conflict and it's not going to be easy. Um, and I think the one thing that resonates me with, you know, you making the choice um, to choose comfort over courage is, is as Brene said, sound um, defined is, is the definition of privilege. So we as leaders need to be able to choose courage over comfort. Um, and, and that's not always that it's, it, some days suck, right? Uh, some days you have to do some hard work, uh, you, both with yourself, um, but also with the teams or groups that you're working with. Um, so showing up every day, you know, Brian and I worked together with a client and we kept saying is like, I don't know what work we're going to do today, but I know just showing up, we, we get brought into things. We get people talk to us about things. We get pulled uh, left or right. We get asked to do things. And it, it really came down to just like sitting in the chair, not because we were getting paid to sit in the chair, but because that's how the organization was structured. It was somewhat chaotic, but also emergent, uh, innovative. And, you know, being there, being available, uh, both physically but also emotionally and mentally. Um, and, and like I said, it's, it's not always easy because, you know, on a Friday afternoon or even on a Saturday on, you know, uh, on a holiday weekend, um, showing up, showing up is hard. There's, there's a lot of easier other things to do that can distract you. Um, so good leadership. I just want to put an exclamation part, uh, mark on this is, is showing up when it's, it may not be a great day to show up. And our sort of analogy for this is going to the gym, right? It's really easy to say, I want to get healthier. I want to make a change, but you have to show up at the gym if you want to do that. Of course, there's lots of other ways to do that. That's just our simplified analogy, right? But you have to show up if you, if you want to do that. Yeah. So this is another quote, as you can tell, we're Renee Brown devotees. Um, but we love this quote. It says, if we are brave enough, often enough, we will fall. Daring is not saying I'm willing to risk failure. Daring, daring is saying, I know I will eventually fail and I'm still all in. I've never met a brave person who hasn't known disappointment, failure, or even heartbreak. And what we're really trying to get through at this point where is if you're addressing these adaptive uh challenges in your organization, this stuff is going to happen, right? You're going to face what we call, uh, in a second we'll cover them, the, the challenges, right? There are challenges that crop up when we jump into the realm of the adaptive. Um, organizations have an immune system, you can think of it, that goes into overdrive when we start to address some of these adaptive solutions, right? They fight back because people don't want to give, give this stuff up. It's hard. All right, Jeff, go for it. Yep. 
The illusion of a broken system. So I'm going to uh, read this and then we're going to sort of pull it apart a little bit because it's uh, it, it didn't sit with me the first time I read it. So there's a myth that drives many change initiatives into the ground that the organization needs to change because it is broken. The reality is that any social system is that way because the people in that system want it that way. In that sense, the system is working fine, even though it may appear to be dysfunctional in some respects to some members and outside observers. There's no such thing as a dysfunctional organization because every organization is perfectly aligned to achieve the results it currently gets. So what do we do with this? <laughs> do we really believe this? Can you walk into any organization, especially if you're involved in agile transformations and they're high deep in waterfall bureaucracy and top-down uh, uh, approach to leadership or management? And, and do you believe this? And this always reminds me of the coaching mantra of, you know, I believe that everyone is doing the best they can with the capabilities and information they have available to them. Another hard one to, sometimes hard, depending on who you're working with. Um, so the only way you're going to drive, I should say the only way, with this approach is to understand why things are set up the way, the, the way they are. So not only are you trying to understand everyone else's story, you're trying to understand your own story as a leader or as a change agent, you're trying to understand the folks that you're working with, what their stories are and what motivates them. You're also trying to understand what motivates the organization and why certain things are in their place. Because before you showed up, everything was okay until this, you know, I say outsider or a different perspective came in to tell them whether there's a better way to do it or hopefully not, but, or they're doing it the wrong way. And I think this is uh, maybe goes back to that that map or that picture of the man jump or the person jumping from one side to the other. The intent of the organization is here. The impact is maybe way over here. And so, how do you address? How do you make visible the gap between the two? And then you can start working on changing pieces of the organization uh, after you map them to why you want to make the change or what are the goals or initiatives they're trying to drive. And just no resistance going to come from those that like the way the system is currently built. Their rewards, their pay, their promotions. Uh, they've been there for 20 or 30 years or 15 or 20 years. And they've gotten to their level of success based on this system that they've learned how to play. And that's a great lead in to this is the key part to this that people don't resist change, right? They resist loss. This is the adaptive challenge to change, right? Uh, someone brought up, you know, switching software, right? Well, the actual switch of software is fine, right? But what do people resist? They resist, you know, losing the knowledge that they have maybe they're not familiar with it so they're no longer the experts right they're resisting that loss you know they might be able to sit down at their desk and just jump right in and not have to do any research and now that they're using a new program they don't know how to use it they have to do research right that's a loss it's, it's a loss of time right a loss of efficiency 
So people don't resist change, they resist loss. And when you are in the realm of the adaptive, this is huge. And again, pulling back to COVID, you know, just think about everything that's sort of gone on with COVID, right? It's been a change, but just also been a loss. You know, it's different now. We have to wear masks when we go outside. Social distancing, right? People are resisting the loss of physical touch and, and the loss of, you know, not having to go outside and remember your mask everywhere you go, right? It's, it's different. And this is how you know you're hitting on an adaptive problem. So when you get really deep into adaptive problems, resistance comes up. And in some ways, this is a great thing because it's, it's how you know that you're doing the right work, right? And uh, there are four types of resistance that come up uh, when you're ad addressing adaptive challenges. Uh, the first one is marginalization, right? I worked in an organization where I was sort of the outsider. Um, I was the outsider agile coach that was coming in and they didn't really want me, but they kind of had to have me. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have been in that situation or not. So what did they do? They marginalized me. They said, you go over and work with that group over there and we're just gonna do what we do over here, right? They pushed me off to the side. They gave me work to do because I was challenging some of their status quos. Right, I was challenging some of that adaptive stuff. And so their answer was, we have this great, you know, we're gonna push you off, right? Or they say, we have this great new program that's coming up on board. They are so awesome and we would love you to help out with them, uh, creating a diversion, <laughs> right? Um, attack, right? People will just blatantly attack you. And that happens um, when you're in the realm of this adaptive. Right? And seduction, this is a little bit harder to understand, but it's really about um, the people who you are trying to solve the problems for seduce you into thinking how great of a job you're doing. Well, you're just an amazing leader and you're doing such a great job, you know, and, you know, we just love to have you and, and you know, everything's going so well and we've made so many improvements, right? It's really easy to get seduced into thinking as a leader, like, oh, like, man, I am pretty good. <laughs> and, you know, we want to think we're doing a good job and we want to feel like things are changing for the better, but it can also help you. It helps derail us from what the, the work that we need to, be, to do. So this is based on uh, research by uh, Ron Heifetz and Marty Linsky, who um, did all this work at, at Harvard and, and have researched this. Um, and we can share some of the resources at the end. But these are the four faces of resistance they, that they have found tend to pop up when you are doing the adaptive work. Um, and so I can already hear your gears turning a little bit, <laughs> some of you online, and you're thinking to yourselves, man, I remember this time when this happened and they marginalized me, or I remember when this happened and they seduced me into thinking how great I was and I lost my edge, right? I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing your thinking as you're going through. And again, like 
this is not a bad thing if you can recognize what's happening in the moment. It's a great thing because it's actually a sign that you're doing the right work. It's a sign you're hitting that nerve that needs to be uh, changed, that you're doing the right thing. So when you, the, but the hardest part is seeing it pop up. In that organization, when I was being marginalized, I didn't see what was happening until it was too late and everything came crashing down, right? That's when I looked back and I said, oh, I see what they were doing. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so it's easy to look back and see what happened. It's harder to see and recognize it in the moment for me, at least. All right, I just did lots of talking, go for it. Sorry, I was answering some uh, uh, chats. Yeah, so three actions for adaptive challenges. Um, let me get a couple screens out of here. So figuring out what to keep from the past, figuring out what to guard from the past, and inventing new ways to build the best of the past. And, and for any of you that have done training, Agile or otherwise, as you always talk about you know, going to your audience. So understanding where your audience is at, people that you're working with, the organization that you're working with, it has a story, we talked about that. The system is structured the way the people within the system want it to. So seek to understand uh, curiosity. Um, and then if, if you only jump to way, the way things should be, then you're devaluing everything about their past and their current story. And so how do you have a conversation around hey, I understand, or we as a group understand where we are at, that self-awareness uh, from an organizational perspective. We understand what works and what doesn't work. We want to bring along with us the stuff that works, that we do pretty well. We want to discard to make space for change the things that don't work. And that's how we sort of bridge the chasm between where we are and where we want to be. And then you can start having conversations about where do we want to be? And we'll talk a little bit about how much can, you know, the, the, the flame, uh, how much change an organization can handle. Um, but really is, what is the foundation in which we're working off of? Does it need to be rebuilt? Uh, what can we pile onto that foundation? Well, depending how big and strong the foundation is, um, it, it, that could determine how much change is feasible. Um, and I think the other piece really just from a, a pure human aspect, right? If you talk too far away from people, too much change, too far ahead, uh, you just lose them. So what, you know, and I always you know, use an agile transformation, using, uh, you know, inclusion and diversity is a huge topic right now uh, within organizations. Um, if you're speaking of a world that is 18 steps away, big giant leaps away, you're going to, everyone's going to get overwhelmed or just think that's, that's way past my time. I'm retiring in five years. So none of this is going to happen before I retire. So why do I care? So how do you wind it back to what are our next two or three steps that this group, this organization can feasibly make and implement now? And then having a little bit of a, a teaser what happens after that? And all that is based on 
respecting the past, understanding the past, respecting it, and then having a, a hard conversation around what's worth keeping and what's not. Got so, ahead of myself. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. So it's our job, you know, as leaders uh, to what we call regulate the heat, right? If you're in this type of organization or if you're in an organization going through change or even working with a person going through change, right? You have to help them regulate the heat, right? We have to have enough heat so that things cook. Because if we don't have enough heat, nothing's gonna cook, right? So we have to have enough heat to boil the water to cook the pasta. But if we don't, um, if we have too much heat, right, it boils all over the place and then you just have a huge mess, right? And so it's our job um, as change agents, as coaches, both in and out of the agile space to regulate that heat for our clients, whatever they look like, right? To turn it up when they can handle it and to turn it down and orient them a little bit when they feel like it's too much heat. And not only that, but we also have to sort of create the container for that change, right? We need to hold the walls of the container and make sure that the container that we're operating in is strong enough to hold the pressure, like a pressure cooker of that heat, right? And I know that's sort of an esoteric analogy, but working with, you know, finding out how much people can handle, how much pressure they can handle and how much heat they can handle. Because if you come into an organization that's done 15 agile transformations and all of them have failed, they're not gonna be able to handle much heat and there's not much of a container intact to be able to do the work. So how can you build that container? How can you work with one or two teams and build that container and build that trust with them to say, you know what? I'm gonna make sure that things don't explode, but we're gonna do a little bit of cooking here. Yeah. And what we're really saying is things are gonna be hard and uncomfortable, um, but we don't wanna hit the overwhelming is another way to think about it. Um, and I think Brian hits a good point. If, if you're walking to an organization where whatever change you're trying to drive has been tried many times before, and you know, these, these consultants or, uh, change agents have been kicked out. Um, just know you're going to, you're going to have a, that's baked into their story, this organization. So you're going to have to overcome that, rebuild a container, uh, reappreciate or appreciate the story um, that this organization has gone through and where they've come from, and then really spend a lot of time on what is feasible change, what is the next step of feasible change for this organization. And you know, not part of this presentation, Brian and I have talked a lot about organizational evolution, which is a whole, uh, a big, uh, a mouthful. Uh, but what is the next step of evolution for that organization? And, and the answer is it'll depend on who that organization is and what they've been through. So we want to offer um, just a little, a few more thoughts around this. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about and use the word transformation, right? This is not, this is not our stuff. This is from like that's in Linsky. Uh, and they say, you know, transformation is rough because it encourages, you know, this referential uh, grandiosity. You know, I have this great vision of how we're going to transform and I'm going to sell it to you. Right. 
or um, it tends to be ahistorical, right? We're just going to transform into this new thing and forget about everything in the past. And we talked about that immune reaction. And it emphasizes, um, you know, I can do it alone and we're just going to do it all at once, right? And we know, as we've talked about through this, this is a sort of a summary of the things that we've talked about. Um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work, right? It's really our job to move the needle just a little bit every day, both in organizations, in teams, and in people, you know, at all levels. I would say that people, including yourself. Which is the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So speaking of that, another thing, uh, you know, good reminder, what does good leadership look like? And, uh, you know, stealing from Brene Brown's work again is uh, strong back, soft front, wild heart. Um, you know, strong back is around understanding your values and sticking to them, even when it's hard, confronting conflict, uh, not in a bad way, but not shying away from it. Um, soft front is, is having that empathy and understanding both of a situation, of other people's stories, of organizational stories. And the wild heart is really wanting to show up as a leader and, and really emphasize or foster the potential and capabilities of others, both people and organizations. And, and as I would say, as well as yourself. How do we drive this continuous evolution of everyone around us in a direction in which they want to go? So what does this look like for us at Plant Solutions and us when we look at clients? Um, it's everywhere, right? It's not a work thing. It's an everything thing, right? There's uh, adaptive work we need to do in our company and we're not there yet and we will never be there, but we're still going to try to do it. There's adaptive work that we need to do with our clients and our customers, right? And then there's a lot of personal work that we have to do and to enable ourselves to be able to take these perspectives to, uh, you know, realize when, uh, what's going on um, and to, you know, be able to show up uh, differently um, so that we can help, help our organizations and our companies and ourselves. It's, it's, it's a lot of work to do. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. I will speak from a personal perspective. <laughs> so our challenge to you, right? Now you know. It's our responsibility to ask these tough questions and to pull our organizations into the realm of adaptability, right? And up our own game. And, you know, if we don't do it, who will? You know, we now know the difference. And if you don't do it, who's going to do it? So that's our sort of challenge to you uh, to move into the realm of the adaptive, to use your skill sets, to start to use different interventions and talk about the hard stuff and show up with courage. And it sucks. It's hard. You get beat up. <laughs> but um, it's the good work. It really is. So that's what we have. Um, we'd love to have, you know, we have some time for questions. Um, I can't promise answers, but we'll at least hear questions and we'll do our best. And 
if we don't know something, I'll say, I have no idea, but maybe I can point you in the right direction. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, who has some comments, thoughts, maybe something you learned that you want to share with the group? Definitely any questions that you haven't asked. We want to know what you have not asked. And feel free to turn your video on so we can kind of chat for a while. Um, this is Gita. So one of the uh, from personal experience, experience, one of the challenges I found to face at times, even when you try to do the right steps to get into an organization, to understand them, to see how they're working and um, who are the influencers and um, you think you're going on the right path, you can still step on a mind bomb accidentally and that's kind of like the the difficult part because there's behind the scenes um um there's so much people talking to people and uh, a rapport was built because before you even came in as a newcomer so you're like the foreign body who comes in and um what i struggle at times with when um you talk to people and they seem to be on board uh, superficially, but then behind the scenes, closed doors, there are other conversations going on. And then to basically, you just get kind of, um, it cut, it gets like a, you get into a sticky situations because of that. And that's, I personally find this a huge challenge. It's, it's, um, uh, you don't even know what to learn from that. How, what could you do better? Um, it doesn't happen with every company, but it happened to me in one of the companies I worked with before where I got into a, in a really sticky situation where I thought we were all on the same page. But then I found out that behind the scenes, it was just people in front of me, people were nodding. And then behind the scenes, people had their closed door conversations to move things in a different direction. So how would you handle something like that? Maybe there's something, maybe it's just a skill I haven't developed, but how would you even um, tackle something like that? So I think we've all been there. <laughs> I know I certainly have like many times. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's a piece of this, which we didn't really jump into, but it's one of the core we, we kind of talked about it, tenants of this, which is what, what they call getting on the balcony. And what they mean by that is being able to take that zoomed out approach and see everything that's going on, right? Um, and for me, it's been helpful because when I, uh, so the, sorry, the, the reference of getting on the balcony is like, uh, if you're at a music club or you're at a dance club, uh, which for some of us, it's been longer than others. Um, but, you know, you're on the dance floor and you're walking around and you're like, man, like this party's awesome, right? And then you go up and look at the balcony and you realize like the group that you were dancing with is only this big, but the club is this big. So you were only in this little corner, right? And you have only a limited perspective of what you saw. So what I've done in that situation, because like I said, it's happened to me more times than I can count, um, is if I really try to zoom out 
and take the bigger organizational perspective and really look at all those relationships, I'm able to sometimes see that stuff in advance. And there's a really great tool from uh, ORSC Organization and Relationship Systems Coaching um, called Con Paper Constellations, where you actually draw out like these relationship systems and you draw out the connections and you draw out all of the pieces and um, in current state and then future state. And for me, that's been really valuable just to go through that exercise with myself because sometimes I can draw it out on a piece of paper and I'm like, oh, like I see it now. It brings another level of perspective. It allows me to stand on the balcony and sort of look at it from a broader perspective. Um, and so I'd be happy to share that with you if you reach out afterwards, uh, you know, we, we could, we can run through that exercise, but that's just one thought that came up immediately because like I said, it's happened to me and still does all the time. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm just going to add is, you know, Brian hit on this is that constellation exercise is a great way to visualize these things. And, you know, I go back to Dan, Dan Siegel's work. He's a neuroscientist. He's also big in the mindfulness space. But if you can name it, you can tame it. And that's where he talks about just from a neuroscience and, and you know, your uh, self-talk, so to speak. But it also works great in organizations. So those politi political things, those, uh, as you said, landmines, if you can somehow visualize that back to the group, what you're really doing is putting a mirror up in front of those folks to say, what do we see? What do we all see? How do we create a holistic view of the actual system we're trying to operate within? How politically charged it is, who's the ma major contributors, who are the major decision makers? Um, and you start just creating a diagram of these things, not you personally, but you as a group, you're a facilitator for this. Um, and sometimes you can play the new card as if you are the new person in the organization and say, Hey, I, I don't, I've only been here for a little bit. I'd really like to understand the dynamics of how we make decisions. I'd like to use this constellation exercise and, and you can start letting them, uh, build this, this constellation, um, many different ways to use it. I'm in a currently in an organization that's very political, a lot of super smart people, but we're trying to do agile and none of them have done agile before. However, if you talk about, you know, CPAs, lawyers, and data scientists, they are wicked smart. Um, but when it comes to agile transformation, like not that they're not smart, they just haven't done this piece before. So what happens is you have smart people providing opinions about things they don't know about because they're used to providing opinions because they're, they're, they're a subject matter expert. Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I thought that was a, a great, so that self-awareness that Brian talks about, this, this visualization can create self-awareness for you, for them, and for the group that you're trying to work with. Um, I would also like to share um, my thought. I'm Please. organization, and being uh, in a like, delivery manager position, it's very hard for a team to accept the changes that I bring um, into like on the table, so they have their own uh, like preconceived notion, and I do uh, face similar issues with the peer uh, delivery managers that they give me the marginal or uh, you can say seduction on my face, and at back of me they 
plan and do things very in a very different manner. So what I just decided is rather than being a re reactive, I would learn their perspective. I, they cannot hold my uh, knowledge or they cannot hold my growth or learnings exposure that I have. It's their per perception what they have created for themselves, and that's bound to get. They are bound to get their own results. But what I do is I have stopped reacting. I started learning and focused my energy to bring uh, more acceptability towards the team. Once team accept you, things eventually change. Yeah, it's it's truly the adaptive challenge here is building that trust um, for them willing to be accepting of of a new idea, let alone your idea. And as, as long as the conversation is, is around who's right and who's wrong, aka your idea versus their idea, then you it's just it's just constant conflict. Uh, you add a little trust into conflict, there may be a willingness to try at least one of the three things you recommended. All right, well, if that works, do you, do you commit to trying the next thing? Um, and maybe it's not a formal contract between you and the team, but as you as you build that relationship, that's where you can turn up the heat a little bit more with more trust uh, because the container is stronger uh, that you have built with that group. Yeah, exactly. So it's not more like that we uh, have an authority kind of thing. Now team and uh, I have some of the rapport where we all are a contributor. So there is no uh, like hierarchy or something. So they don't uh, follow that. Now they feel that we all contribute towards the success and they listen to each and every aspect. I might be wrong. So what we do is for any session, we consider what are the plus points and what are the negative points for that. And based on that, we uh, take up the task or we take up any suggestion which has the higher plus points rather than negative points. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. And Brian, real quick, I just wanted to go back to the example that we put on hold um, around product delivery and technical refactoring. It uh, wasn't quite the way, I think, uh, Alexander or yeah, Alex that, Exactly, that was exactly the case. Yeah, so um, I think thinking of the technical solution, this is in, in very much direct definition, right, of a refactoring is usually very technical. Um, helping the customer, the adaptive challenges is convincing your team or your tech lead or your product owner that taking a step back and changing te technology or taking ultimately what you're doing is saying, we want to, instead of building new features, just build the stability or enhance the technology within this product that will then create rather a better customer experience or a more scalable product that we can do more things for our customer in the future. If you only have a conversation about this technology versus that technology, uh, then I, as a product project manager, a product owner, I'm just going to be looking at how many points does this cost me and how far does that set me back from the milestones that we promised the customer. Um, so I think Brian talks about going onto the balcony, you know, going onto the balcony for this particular product is saying, holistically, you know, going from Oracle to Mongo or upgrading the net network routers or 
moving from on-prem to AW to a cloud solution are all similar conversations we've probably all been part of at one point or another. Um, it usually isn't customer functionality. It's a bunch of other things that enables us to do. So that is where you, you know, what is the big picture? How do you articulate that? And what is a cost? It's truly comes down to a cost benefit analysis but from a customer's perspective, not from a pure technology, because it probably makes perfect sense to do the technology switch, but how, how to integrate that into the holistic product strategy is I think where the conversation needs to be had. If you can convince them at that level, then the technology switch uh, becomes sort of, of course, we're going to do this. Okay. It's understandable. And uh, that helps. And I have another question. Uh... Uh, there are two scenarios uh, that I have been through, which uh, I'm not sure if uh, it's worth uh, the effort of actually being uh, the coach. Uh, let me tell you two, the two examples. The first example is about being in a, in a team uh, with uh, lots of product owners. Uh, half of them, they they are coming from traditional, uh, let's say, management, and uh, they are not willing to change. And there are the other half that they are also uh, belong. They belong to the traditional, let's say, management, but uh, they are willing to learn. Unfortunately, the traditional ones are uh, the. I mean, the ones that they don't want the change. They are in a higher rank, let's say. So they, the stakeholders uh, are more likely to listen to them than the other product owners. So there have been a lot of turbulences on this uh, product. And uh, there are a lot, uh, have been a lot of confrontations, uh, especially about uh, Agile, about MVP, about the whole purpose. So I have this scenario and I'm, I'm just wondering if it was worth actually the, the whole trouble of uh, convincing people to go through it. Uh, I'll tell you afterwards what was, what happened. And I have another scenario as well. I don't, I'm not sure if you want me to tell you now or. Well, let's talk about that one yeah. first. And what I, because I think everyone has been in a, probably a situation similar. Um, and so I want to anchor some of the stuff that we talked about today um, and use it to apply to this situation. So the first piece is, right, basically the story is you have people who don't want to change, right? So why is that? Um, you're never going to convince them, right? Convincing doesn't work. Um, contrary to what people on Facebook posts think, <laughs> right? Everyone posts their opinion on Facebook and try to change people's mind in a in a little paragraph, um, right? So it's really about applying the stuff that we talked about today. Is people don't resist change; they resist loss, right? So what are they losing by uh, a shift to agile, right? It might be a benefit to go through and think about that and, you know, create a, you know, write it down. Like, what are they losing? What do you think that they're losing, right? Talk to them, 
you know, what are you losing by doing this, right? The best thing that, that comes to mind, sorry to interrupt, is that actually it's their position in hierarchy because suddenly all product owners are in equal level, mm-hmm. let's say. Yeah, right. And so the reason people don't change is because their loss to benefit ratio is off, right? They're losing more than they're gaining. So it's our job uh, and they're not gonna change until we can equalize or tip that scale, right? And that's sort of the job. And um, I don't have an answer for how to do that, but I think if we think about it in a different way, and think about it in the adaptive, addressing the realm of the adaptive, you know, how can we address their losses? How can we address their um, beliefs and how can we tip that loss to benefit scale um, in the way where there are more benefits than there are losses? Because those losses are going to happen. Uh, you're not gonna be able to prevent those losses from happening. Happening. It's just a matter of getting the benefits to outweigh the losses and or getting them to understand um, that losing that is going to be okay and helping them cope, you know, cope with those losses because those losses are going to be, prev- like, we can't, we can't fix that, right? That loss is going to be there. So they either have to be okay with it or they have to realize that the benefits are going to be uh, outweigh the losses. Yeah, understandable. All right. Thank you, Brian. Um, we're right at the end of our time now. So, um, Brian and Darren, if you would maybe post your contact information in the chat box, that'll enable people to reach out to you after or your LinkedIn profile um, ad- address. That way people can reach out to you later. This has been a great presentation. I really, really enjoyed a lot of the ideas you have here. And I just want to say thank you for joining us today. And thank you everyone else for joining us. I hope that there's a lot you're going to take away to start um, considering and chewing on a bit more. Thank you. This is fantastic. I just wanted to express that. Um, And yeah, (laughs) I'm thinking about it a lot. I was wondering, is there any chance we can get a hold of the slides? Because some of it was really interesting and I want to sit on some of the topics a little more. (laughs) 